This is In the Author's Voice on WSIU in Focus. I'm Jeff Williams. A new memoir looks at the life of a military family through the eyes of a wife and mother, as well as those of a husband, father, and combat pilot. For more than 30 years, Vicki Cody was the anchor for her military family, while her husband Dick, an Army commander and ultimately four-star general, led an Apache helicopter unit. Her new book, Fly Safe, tells their story through the letters they exchanged while he was deployed during the first Gulf War. He was preparing to do a really big mission there. He ended up firing the first shots of the war. Mm -hmm. So Dick and his Apache unit were tasked with that. So from early on in the deployment, he was preparing for that, but never really led on to me. He would make little comments, but it was kind of going over my head. (laughs) I didn't realize, you know, what was coming. Um, But I, I knew something was up, and certainly as we got closer to the January deadline, um, I, I knew, I, I could sense when he called me and, and said goodbye at one point that he was going to be gone for a while. I knew then that something was up. But, you know, back to the letters, um, there's something to be said for that. Um, I saved all those letters, and, you know, I'm not sure that people save emails and texts for 30-something years, but, you know, I have those letters from 32 years ago, and I can take him out any time, open him up, read them. I look at his handwriting. Um, it's such a tangible thing, um, connection, just like, you know, I believe in the written word. You, I love to write books, um, and I, I feel like words are there forever, um, you know, rather than just a conversation on a phone. So that's what I tried to capture in that book. And, um, yeah, there were innuendos in his letters. And and it wasn't until recently when I started to write the book, I sat down one day and and read all 94 letters from start to finish. And I hadn't done that in 30 years. Um, And that's when I realized that, that, that there was a story unfolding because at the time I would get the letters, read it, and then go on to the next letter, you know, a couple weeks later or whenever. Um, but it was when I looked at them all together that I thought, you know what, it really does give his story, his perspective. And then I dug out my journals that I had kept, and it was like, oh, wow, I, I can tell this story from my eyes and from, from his perspective. That time period, between 1990 and 1991, I think, was mm-hmm. tumultuous for a lot of people. I know I was yeah. I was in Washington, D.C. Oh, uh, okay. at, at NPR, and mm-hmm. with a bu- along with a bunch of other journalists, because we didn't know what was going to happen when Desert Shield right. became Desert Storm. Yeah. Um, so your husband, obviously, uh, Apache helicopter pilot and, and, and commander, um, mm-hmm. his unit stationed... Uh, I believe what Saudi Arabia, I think is where yes. initially initially they yes. they were stationed. Um, I can't even be. Well, I guess I should say I can sort of imagine. I listened to and edited a lot of the pool feeds coming out of of Kuwait and other mm-hmm. areas um, during, especially during the war, but leading up to the war as well. And while I know we don't know what was going on in, internally there, we had a really good idea of, of or gave us a very good idea of. of of how all the pieces were being moved around on the chessboard and mm-hmm. and really what was how we were preparing for what eventually was was going to happen. I can imagine letters coming back from your husband obviously probably told that story but so much right. more as mm-hmm. well. 
Right. Yeah, and you know, that's what I tried to capture with Fly Safe. I take the reader back to a time when we didn't have cell phones, we didn't have email. Um, if I had to get in touch with my husband, I could go into his office, and only because he was the commander, they could get a message to him. But otherwise, I did not get to talk to him unless he called me on a rare occasion. But we communicated through written letters, and I think that was kind of like, we were like that last generation, you know, to still do that, where I had to wait sometimes 10 days before a letter, you know, got to me, and, and vice versa. But once we got into that rhythm, and that was all we knew mm-hmm. um, of writing letters, I felt like I was talking to him. I would unload everything to him, then he, you know, and then it might be uh, two weeks later before I got a response to what I had written to him. <laughs> but but it's it's amazing how you make it work, and we totally stayed connected. It it didn't diminish our love for each other. You mentioned the letters, and you, you talk about in, in in the book the hat box. Oh yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> what what meaning, or does that hot hat box, or did it have a meaning? Was it a repository? Was it a place you could put all that stuff and, and forget about it, or was it a place that preserved those memories? What does that hat box represent to you? Well, at the time, it didn't represent anything other than. He came back from Desert Storm. We were getting ready to move again, and I had these bundles of letters that I had tied up with red, white, and blue ribbons. And I knew that that I had to put them in something for when the movers came. And back then, we were moving about every two years. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I learned early on to have a way of containing things, things that I wanted to save, that I didn't want to get lost in the shuffle. So I just found, like, this decorative hat box that was, like, pretty, and it was kind of a trend back then in the the 90s. So for me, that was kind of like my little treasure chest where I put all the memorabilia, the letters, in this hat box. But that hat box would move with us probably another eight times. You know, quite a few times over the years. And again, you know, I would unpack after a move the hat box. Sometimes it was in a closet. Sometimes it was shoved under a bed. I always knew what was in there, and I never lost track of it. But it wasn't like I was thinking, hmm, someday I'm going to write a book with all this stuff. <laughs> um, so I think initially there was no significance. It was it was better than putting them in a, a like a plastic bin. The hat box was decorative enough that if it was sitting in my bedroom, it looked kind of pretty. You know, it was mm-hmm. painted. Yeah. So that's all that was, Jeff. <laughs> no big meaning. <laughs> yeah, obviously, during this time period, um, your husband is over there deployed, and not just deployed, but deployed in a in a war zone. What mm-hmm. what impact did that have on on the family? I mean, I mean, obviously, you know, dad's not here, but dad's not here because dad's deployed in yeah. a war zone. Yeah, and, you know, the, our sons at that point were 11 and 13, mm-hmm. so they were old enough, um, and in many ways that made it easier because they, they pretty much kind of understood, um, and they were great companions for me. Um, you know, we could talk about things, and, you know, um, but I guess as as a wife and as a mother, I I felt like... I was walking a fine line between 
I needed to shield them from some things, but in other ways, we needed to be realistic. You know, it was like, um, it's hard to describe. I, I guess I, I gave them the right amount of information. Plus, it, you know, this was like the first time that we watched a war unfold on TV, mm-hmm. on live TV, 24-7 with CNN. And, mm-hmm. you know, that was the beginning of that era. So my kids were seeing it, and they were hearing about it. Um, so it's not like I was shielding them from that. But I knew that that how I reacted to the situation was going to impact them and I knew that I needed to be positive and upbeat whenever I could. I mean, obviously there were times when I was really scared, nervous, apprehensive, you know, all of that. But I also had this whole group of, of Army spouses that were looking to me for guidance. You know, as the commander's wife, um, there were over 200 family members, um, you know, spouses, their kids, and they looked to me for um, support and and guidance, and so it was kind of like I had all these kids <laughs> that year. Um, not only my our two sons, but but these spouses that you know. And I think I did well. I I think I was good about. Um, we stayed busy. We did everything we would normally do. And I I told our sons early on. I said we will still do everything we always do because their first reaction was. Dad's going to be gone for Christmas. What do we do about Christmas? And I said, well, we will still have Christmas. We will go to Vermont. We will be with our families up there, and we will have Christmas, but Dad won't be there. I said, everything isn't going to stop. You know, and they would say things like, well, what about school? What about basketball? I said, all of that goes on. Life goes on. We miss Dad. We're going to wait for him. He'll get home, you know, in whatever, nine, ten months. Um, so they were they were old enough to understand that, um, and you know I tried not to ever make promises. Um, but during the the dark days right before the war started, you know our sons would ask me questions. You know, well, what if something happens to Dad? And I said, Well, you know, Dad's the best Ap- Apache pilot in the army, and they'd say, Yeah, he is. He's the best. <laughs> you know, so we quickly would just kind of you know gloss over it and and not go down that road um so you know for me it was all about being positive as much as i could um realistic um and just you know the kids and i had fun in spite of everything we we lived life you know you have to (laughs) you you talked about having gone back and and reread all the letters for the first time in 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 30 years Mm -hmm. did it give you new or different insight into what your husband was going through, what the truths there were going through. Yes. Um, I realized a couple of things jumped out at me that that came through time after time in the letters. Um, The burden of responsibility that he had, the weight on him of... Um, because he had, before they left, when we met in the chapel with all the soldiers, families, everybody, my husband makes this statement, I will bring everybody home safe. And afterwards I said to him, Dick, how can you keep that promise? You don't know what's going to happen. He says, Vicki, I'm bringing them all home. All 350 that are going over are coming back with me. I said, well, okay. Um, (laughs) But I realized 
that as time went on and there were going to be times when when things would be out of his control um but my husband is one determined guy and he did everything in his power he brought everybody home safe um and it was it was a miracle but that really struck me that um you know he had to he had to deal with the responsibility of being a commander then when he was put in charge of of this big mission and he couldn't tell anybody about it um his people couldn't know they couldn't know until right when they were ready to to launch but they had to go ahead and practice and plan for this this big mission um but he, he you know and a couple of times in his letters he said i i now know what people used to say to me it's very lonely being a commander mm-hmm. and um you know, I think he he had his commander above him. He was very close to um, Tom Garrett, and he could rely on Tom to kind of unload. Um, and then, you know, he would just tell me things in his letters. And, and even through a letter, I realized I was still his sounding board. I had always been that. Um, we just had to do it through letters and vice versa. You know, I was, I was going through this, not the same, but, you know, I had – a lot of responsibility on my shoulders too and he was so good about um and this is the other thing that struck me reading all the letters at once in almost every single letter he told me how proud he was of me and for what i was doing and i always knew we we loved each other from the day we met you know um i never have ever doubted that but he verbally said that in, in every letter, how much he loved me, how proud he was of me. Um, and that's really nice to, to be able to read and, and feel after all those years. And I thought, wow, I don't know that I appreciated it at the time. But as I was writing the book about all of this, I realized, again, how blessed I am to have this man that that adores me, and I feel the same way about him. Um, and he was very expressive to our sons when, when he, in his letters to them. And that's, that, that was like a really eye-opening thing to read all of that all these years later and think, wow, he really, he really does love me, <laughs> you know? You, through both books, you really pull the, the the curtain away and allow allow people to see inside not only life of the military but or military family but mm-hmm. life in the military in uh in general when when you're looking at putting everything together for for fly safe mm-hmm. um how did you decide what what went in and how it was presented and how that story was woven well i think because i had written army wife first and that was so daunting and overwhelming to try to capture 33 years of, of just stuff you know um so i learned a lot through that process because that book took me a long time so by the time i wrote fly safe i knew exactly what i wanted to capture which was that period of time in America, not just for for me and my husband and what we were going through, but, you know, just 
what it was like back then, taking the reader back in time. Um, but also in all my writings, my hope is to shine the light on the men and women in uniform, the families that stand right beside them, but also to give civilian and non-military readers a glimpse of our way of life and what it means to serve this nation um, and and hoping that, you know, the reader comes away with a, a better appreciation for the men and women in uniform or a better appreciation and understanding um, for what we all go through and, and not just the challenges but, but the joys of, of this way of life. So for Fly Safe, that book was so easy to write because I was only trying to capture pretty much one year, you know, nine, ten months. So that made it easy. Um, the letters, yeah, you know, that took the help from my editor because, you know, obviously with 94 letters, I wasn't going to put all of them in the sure. book. You know, half the letters, they could be repetitive. You know, sometimes mm -hmm. he didn't have much to say, and it was the same thing. So I would sort through the letters and find the, the real meat of it. What was in that letter that was telling what he was doing or what was going on over there at that point? So once I did that, it that book was very easy to write, and and I write from the heart. I just go ahead and and say, you know, what it was like for me um, in the hopes of, you know, also I want other military people to relate to it and say, oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah, that we did that, too, or that's how that was. And so many um, soldiers have, have connected with me and said that I really captured what it was like for them in Desert Storm, and they really appreciated, you know, how I did that. And, you know, obviously I hear from a lot of spouses that, that say the same thing. Um, so that's always my goal, to shed the, the spotlight on um, this unique way of life and the men and women who serve. During the course of his, I guess I should say, collectively, your military career, <laughs> eight, 18, moved 18 times in, in, yeah. in, in 33 years. And is that military lifestyle fundamentally different than it was in 1969 when you started on this journey? Um, there's a lot that remains the same. Um, but obviously, in recent decades, you know, really since September 11th, 2001, that's when things changed drastically. Um, you know, the army that my husband grew up in he came in just at the tail end of Vietnam, and, you know, we would sometimes go years without him going anywhere. Um, and, you know, then there was Desert Storm, and then it was years again before he deployed to Albania at one point. Um, then September 11th happened, and that's when our sons were just getting out of college, out of flight school, you know, joining the military. And their generation... They're the ones that, you know, have had this this huge burden of these back-to-back -back deployments, and that is probably the biggest change. And, you know, obviously it's eased up some. Those kids, that those men and women that were joining the military, 
you know, they've really had a, a, a tough road. Um, and, you know, they call it the op-tempo. It, you know, it's just a, a constant um, training up for a deployment, coming back from a deployment, getting ready for the next one. That was something that my husband and, and his generation post-Vietnam, they didn't really have that. It would just be a pop-up thing here and there. And um, Desert Storm was like the really the biggest deployment that my husband went on. Um, so that that is a big change, and I'm amazed at the young men and women that continue to raise their right hand every single day and join the military. That's Vicki Cody. Her new memoir is Fly Safe, Letters from the Gulf War and Reflections from Back Home. With this edition of In the Author's Voice, I'm Jeff Williams.